0: Hello and welcome to the only podcast that's all about Fort Meade, our community, and life in the military. I'm your host, Joe Nieves.
1: And I'm your co-host, Sherry Kuyper, and you're listening to Fort Meade Declassified. So hey,
0: Sherry, I'm back, and I'm not Joe. Still not uh,
1: Joe.
0: Still not Joe. Just for this month. To finish up on talking about mental health.
1: And then Joe will be back with us in February. But Ben, I I have to ask, so what do you think of the podcast?
0: I think it's great. I'm loving the experience so far, the interviews that we've got to do. Even before I came on board in December and I got to sit in when you and Joe interviewed Delegate Rogers. And that was, it was extremely inspiring. One, to listen to the podcast and two, to be a part of the production. And so, you know, I'm looking forward to hopefully doing more of these or at least being helpful in the production end of it. And yeah, it's great.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, now that you've admitted that you liked it and that we're awe-inspiring, you're definitely going to be working more on this podcast now, probably than you Good. planned, but but Good. hey, some sometimes that's how it goes, right? That's right. Ben, do you own a pair of Crocs? Crocs? Oh. No. <laughs> yes. Uh, I I don't. You've seen them, right? They're basically giant sure. plastic shoes with holes in them.
0: Right. And they get a lot of flack, uh, but I don't know. They do have some practicality to them. I'll admit they, they seem like they could be Good garden shoes or something to slip on.
1: So here's the thing. My husband has owned these hideous shoes. Sorry uh-huh. to all the croc lovers out there. <laughs> um, but hear me out. He's owned these shoes for years and he loves uh-huh. them. In fact, he accused me of throwing a pair away one time, Uh-oh. which I did. But there's a giant hole in the bottom. He wore them out. So anyways, <laughs> okay. I moved out of the snake pit. So people who've been longtime listeners, they know I lived in the house. that was full of snakes in the basement. And I'm now on the uh, fourth floor of an apartment complex with no elevator. And so I have to take the dog out all the time. And it seems simple, but putting my shoes on and tying them to take the dog out seemed very annoying. So I finally, after years of resistance, I broke down and bought a pair of crocs. Oh my. I swore to myself I will never wear them out in public.
0: Uh huh. And have you been have you kept to that? Have you kept no. to that what? When did no. you go? Where did you go? Where did you demean yourself with these Crocs? <laughs>
1: the grocery store. Uh, for, oh, well, grocery that's store. not
0: too bad. But... I was also
1: wearing sweatpants and a scrunchie. So I looked all sorts of a hot mess. And well, I actually okay. warmed to the office one day. Um, nobody else was oh, here, I'll thank go. God. And I was just dropping off some stuff and picking up some things. So I've, I've worn them in public. <laughs>
0: but you did dodge public ridicule from your office mates.
1: I did, until now.
0: <laughs> well, till now, now we know Sherry is a croc wearer. Well, we won't hold it against you too hard. You should, you no, should. It's, I, I
1: should. I should be publicly you're shamed. It,
0: you're using them properly. I think you know doing a dog walk in crocs should get a pass. Now, going to a nice event, putting on your nice crocs, that may be a bit of a (laughs) stretch
2: oh oh, man where's your dog
0: um she is taking a nap right now she wake her up I know right (laughs) if she's not like if a walk is not on the horizon she's just gonna laze about you know gets herself comfortable on the couch until it's time to go for our daily walk yeah she's adorable she's our little mascot though she definitely keeps it motivated
1: I know. I'm at the office today, so uh, my oh, dog is where's not Remy? with me. She's at oh, home.
0: Rem. Oh, nice. Little
1: Remy's at home, probably getting into something. Who knows? Um,
0: <laughs>
1: but yes, dogs make dogs make teleworking like the best. I feel bad for when teleworking's over and all yeah. these dogs are back to being by themselves again during the day. Yeah. like They are the winners of this pandemic, if you ask
0: me. They are. The cats, on the other hand, are like, they can't wait for us to get back into the office, right?
1: Yeah. I need my space back. (laughs) They're like humans. Why are you home? Leave. Why are you home? (laughs) This is
0: my time right now. This
1: is my house, not yours. We have an exciting episode today. Um, Later in the episode, we're going to hear from Mary Doyle, who is talking about the 2020 Volunteer of the Year Award winners. Uh, We had several of them, lots of great military families on post doing some amazing things for our community but first
0: Joining us now is Major Amy Bruschowski, Chief of Behavioral Health at Kimbrough Ambulatory Care Center, to talk about services available right here at Fort Meade.
1: Good morning. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. So ma'am, tell us a little bit about the Behavioral Health Clinic at Kimbrough. Sure.
3: So we are at Kimbrough. Our, you know We're there Monday through Friday, other than federal holidays, of course, 730 to 1600. And we're actually broken down into four clinics offering a variety of services. So we have our multi-D clinic, which is multidisciplinary. And we have psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, nurse practitioners, and support staff. And that is the clinic where we send our Active duty beneficiaries for services. And those folks, you know, our clinicians are trained to obviously treat behavioral health conditions, but also assist with, you know, readiness and address things like medications and profiles. And then, of course, therapy and medication management. And then we also have our substance use disorder care clinic. Again, that is for active duty as well. And the, their focus is substance use and abuse.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Who are your services available to? Like, for example, can DOD civilians use your clinic?
3: So DOD civilians cannot use the clinic unless they are a family member of an active duty person. So we do our child and family behavioral health clinic does see family members. That's, you know, spouses, children. And so, you know, Civilian care is done there, but other civilian employees of the DOD, no, unfortunately not.
1: And what about now, I understand active duty and independents and family members there. What about uh, veterans in the retiree community? How does that work for them to use those services?
3: We don't typically see the retiree population. Of course, if somebody was in a crisis and, you know, just felt like, hey, I need to be seen right now or I might harm myself or explode on somebody else. We are absolutely available to help manage those kind of situations, but we would recommend that if it's not a crisis. Folks go to their primary care provider or the VA and see their provider for maybe acute management and then get a referral for behavioral health specialty. And then of course, veterans and retirees also have access to military one source, which is of course a great resource for anyone who has served or currently serving and in order to get services as well or at least get funneled
1: to the correct place. Well and that's good to know because we certainly want anybody who feels like they might be in some sort of certain situation to know at least even if they go there you will give them that immediate attention and get them to the place that they need to go but I think it's also important to mention right now too that in addition to behavioral health services at Kimbro, there's lots of other opportunities to get services that can address your mental health outside of Kimbro. Earlier we were talking, before the interview started, about like the Army Wellness Center and ACS. So do you want to talk a little bit about those types of services that people might not necessarily associate with helping out their mental health?
3: Absolutely. Most of these resources are underutilized. So many issues in behavioral health stem from other stressors in our life, whether it's family concerns, parenting, you know, spouse stuff, finances, all all kinds of stuff, job hunting, things like that. And so anyone who uniformed persons have access to like really great resources. There's army community service, you know, they can help you with concerns for health and nutrition. They provide individual counseling as well. And also they provide really great financial readiness counseling. And I actually always recommend those folks in that service uh, even if you don't have financial hardship, but just kind of planning ahead. Especially, you know, New Year, people, you know, often make resolutions and it's usually kind of health, wellness related or finances. So that's a, Army Community Service is a really good one to help you in the right direction for the New Year. If that's, you know, one of your goals, they they offer really good financial readiness counseling and that's individualized. Same with Army Wellness Center, if your New Year's resolutions are you know, stem around health and wellness. They can put you in the bod pod and and help you kind of uh, solidify your your fitness goals and your health goals. They have folks who will help you learn how to you know teach you how to grocery shop and plan meals. Like just really good stuff that again is just underutilized. Um, Army Wellness Center also does a stress management class and they also have a relaxation technique and a biofeedback program, which is really cool. And so that's kind of where they measure some of your objective data like your heart rate or your breathing while you're managing stress and help you learn techniques that are more personalized for you. So Army Wellness Center, amazing. There's chaplain services. Every Most units have a, a dedicated chaplain, but there's also garrison chaplain services, and they provide marriage and family counseling, also individual if that's needed. Same with military and family life counselors. Those are really great resource for non-medical counseling for individuals and family. And what non-medical means is that it wouldn't require assistance with medication. So if you were interested in medications for sleep or for depression, anxiety, or for like ADHD, they don't offer the medication or medical management piece of that. Fleet and Family Support Center, the Airman and Family Readiness, those two services are very similar to ACS and available although I think all of those services help regardless of which uniform you wear. Again, just really great stuff on post. And if you're having stress about really anything, you can start with those services and they might give you the answers you need or point you in the right direction or at least help relieve a little bit of that acute stress, then decide if you need behavioral health.
0: That's really, that's great. That's a lot of uh, services available, not just your organization. That's really vital information. So once someone's gone through the process, do you guys have uh, any way to track their mental health once they leave your care? And do you have any kind of a follow-up program to see how they're doing?
3: Sure. When folks walk into our services, they can either self-refer or command refer. If you self-refer and you, you just walk in, we'll get you seen and then kind of determine what services you need based on an initial assessment and then get you to the appropriate clinician, whether that's therapy or the medication, medical management piece of that. And then we follow you through the course of treatment. So everyone gets an individualized treatment plan to help you deal with whatever it is that's causing you symptoms so the goal is resolution of symptoms problem solving your stressors things like that and we really don't it's our goal not to terminate care with somebody unless we feel they are stable from acute crisis and in a place where they can kind of problem solve and increase coping skills and then manage themselves so we do follow up pretty closely obviously while they're in treatment and then we wouldn't release from treatment until you can kind of manage yourself better and, and be in a place where you know, what, like, hey, I'm kind of sliding back a little bit and a little more stress. So let me reach out again. It's really so good
0: think- to know. Yeah.
3: Yeah, for active duty, we do, um, we have this program, many folks probably know it, when you come in for an appointment, we might put you on the computer and you have to answer uh, these same questions over and over again. So we have the computerized screening program, and what it's trying to capture is your symptoms. And, you know, I know some people kind of pencil whip those, but those are really important screening measures because... It helps us see over the course of your treatment, if you are really improving, you know, sometimes people get worse because they have additional stressors that happen while in treatment. That program, it's called the behavioral health data portal and um, all service members are on it. And a neat thing about that is if you're PCSing, what we can do is flag you in that system and let your incoming unit know that, hey, this person has been in behavioral health and they would like to continue services when they get to their new station. There are things also in place to help folks follow up in transition times as well.
0: That's excellent. And I'm assuming, of course, all this is confidential as it's if it's going to follow a soldier to a new unit that it stays and remains confidential for them.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, it's confidential. The only people that can see it are the gaining clinicians, um, mm. even commands. We talk about privacy and, and commanders having, you know, some oversight on, on the readiness piece of behavioral health. They don't have access to, to that information. So absolutely, our privacy is a big concern for us. Oh. And, and as I know, a lot of soldiers too.
0: Good, good, good. So is there a mental health hotline someone could call if they're in crisis or some other type of emergency service for mental health issues?
3: Actually, I'm glad you said this because this goes to other services as well. So there is obviously the, for our biggest crisis, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Um, So anybody in very acute imminent threat to self or, you know, questioning, why am I here, I want to die, those kind of thoughts. That number is very widely used and disseminated. 1-800-273-TALK or 8255. Or you can also text 741741 and somebody will text you back as well. There's also a veteran crisis line and that's, well, it's the same national hotline, but if you let them know you're a veteran, they can help get you to VA or DOD resources, depending on what's in the area. Like they might help you get to emergency services. I like Walter Reed. There's also a really great hotline in Anne Arundel County. And I actually just learned about this a few weeks ago. And I think it's amazing. And I hope our service members and, and families also can use this one. Family members can also use the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, of course. But the Anne Arundel county crisis center they have what they call a warm line and that number is 410-768-5522 and that is a 24-hour seven-day-a-week hotline and they if you're in crisis they can respond to crises whether that be suicide or like acute intoxication of alcohol use or domestic violence stuff they offer shelters or can get you to one I should say so they have crisis response people, but you can call that at number at any time to also get just general resources for emotional support and then also those same services if it's not an acute. So that's a, a great resource for everyone here in this county. Well, Anne Arundel, I should say.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad that you brought that up because a lot of times our service members and families forget that They are residents of the county as well, even though they may be living on the fort or they may just be passing through on a short two-year stint or whatever. But while they're here in the county, the county considers them a resident. So that means that they can use those resources. So for whatever reason, if that's the number that pops into their head, they should absolutely call it and use it and reach out to it. And I think that's just a really important message because there's a lot of amazing county resources that can apply to our service members and families and the DOD civilians who necessarily can't use some of the resources that Kimbra offers.
0: And if you Absolutely. missed any of those phone numbers, they should be <laughs> listed below in this podcast in the information section.
1: Exactly, exactly, because that's that's yeah. just important information everybody should have, have on hand. But lastly, I kind of want to have a conversation about the biggest thing probably I think that plagues the military when it comes to mental health, and that's the stigma of mental health issues. And I find it interesting because as you've been talking, you know, you're talking about how financial readiness helps with mental health. And it's like, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, oh, yeah, because I kind of like literally get stressed out and anxiety if I'm sitting here trying to figure out budgets, or if somebody's having financial difficulties, how that snowballs into so many other things. I still need to get into this bod pod thing, um, but I'm not sure if it's going to like shoot me off to Mars or something. Um, plus, I'm a little nervous about the results, but, but I find it interesting how all those, all those things actually are mental health. How can we make people realize that mental health isn't a bad thing? I mean, we all have mental health. Absolutely.
3: Um, Every patient is a mental health patient. And uh, that's actually how I kind of got into this field because as a nurse, I realized, man, every patient is a mental health patient. And I think the focus should be more like you said, you know, sometimes we use as clinicians, we use diagnostic terms like depression, anxiety, insomnia, PTSD, things like that. But In general, everyone experiences the symptoms that make up those diagnoses. So for example, everyone experiences grief or loss at some point in their life. If you're feeling irritable, that could be because, or angry, it could be showing that you're worried about something. So there's a lot of things people experience. And when we talk to them and evaluate them and cluster those symptoms into the diagnosis and give them education, they're like, oh my gosh, like, I should have come here a long time ago because yeah, I've been having trouble getting to sleep or staying asleep or, you know, I just, my mind races all the time with worry about finances or family or parenting or health stuff. So yeah, I mean, everybody experiences these things at some point or another, and the sooner that you can realize and get help for them. I think the better that is. A lot of times, when people are really stressed out, you just kind of feel stuck, almost paralyzed in in your ability to problem solve. You know, and then and then you just get stuck in this cycle of the same symptoms because you're not solving the problems. You're just kind of stuck in them. If that makes sense.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think I don't know about you, Ben, but you know, you can feel that now with with everything that's going on with this pandemic and everything. Oh yeah things do Absolutely. compound and we are literally stuck like in our <laughs> houses and you know i mean so when you add that on top of it you know i just like i mean i know how i feel i get stressed and and sad and bummed throughout this whole process you know so i definitely feel for those who who can't maybe escape it as easily as i might be able to or or something what message would you give and i really want to get to our service members and i suppose this could even apply to our DOD t- civilians, those who are really worried about seeking out any kind of help because they're worried about a clearance or job security. I mean, what, what can we tell them to make them feel better about the fact that seeking out mental health help is not gonna derail your career?
3: Absolutely. And we know that is a huge problem across the DOD. And, and we are taking measures to try to educate and inform what's the truth behind your privacy things like that so and obviously mos related and here at fort me that's obviously a, a bigger concern because we do have so many high level clearances you know around around our mission so you know i would first say that obviously it can affect your career i'm not going to sugarcoat that but that typically only happens if you let let your symptoms, let your behavioral health get so derailed and affects you to the point where you, you've already made their really bad decisions or, you know, it's just time for you to maybe transition out of the military or, you know, whatever, whatever that disposition looks like. So in general though, it absolutely is a great thing. It won't hurt your career. It doesn't affect your clearance unless it gets to, like I said, that severe of a level or you have symptoms that are just not compatible with military service, like uh, psychosis, like if you're seeing or hearing voices, things like that, Um, which is not really typical in our healthy military population. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So we don't, you know, if you go to a community hospital, you'd see a lot of things like, you know, schizophrenia or very severe mental illness, but that's not typical of our population. And and you can get help and recover from these things. So I would say where stigma is is concerned, first of all, privacy, like we talked about earlier, is a huge, huge concern. A lot of folks won't come in because they think their commanders and first sergeants have a right to know all of their business. And that's really not true. When we do converse with command teams, it is very limited to what we can disclose. And that is basically any kind of readiness things. And that is communicated through profiling. So it's not like we just call up your commander and be like, oh, hey, uh, you should probably not let this person handle a weapon or anything like that. We put in a, a health profile, behavioral health profile, and that should be discussed with with our service members during their appointments. And not everyone that comes into behavioral health requires a profile. So again, we can discuss prognosis and treatment plan, or if you're on medications, that's, that's a big one. And again, just because you're on a medication or seeing behavioral health, it doesn't mean it affects your clearance. And in fact, rarely, I have rarely, rarely seen it affect clearance or the ability to maintain your MOS uh, related functions through that profile.
0: That's a really good message that you're putting out for those that it would be scared that it would affect their clearance. if, If you're feeling like you're having those problems now and they're, you know, they're not that bad, now's the time to go before they get to become some issue. And it's good to hear that there's all those programs out there for these folks to, to be able to seek help.
3: Absolutely. I I have found that, you know, people are looking for hope and, and, you know, just resources to help cope with stress a little more easily um, and have those mechanisms in place. But yeah, rarely does it affect your clearance unless you let it get really, really out of hand. And again, when we talk about symptoms kind of being paralyzing, if you do let it get really, really out of control, Generally, well, not generally, sometimes we see where, you know, you just, you can't recover and you just make bad decisions instead of problem solving to, to fix your situation or your stressors. You just make really bad decisions or start self-sabotaging. And those are the things that will hurt you. So like, just like you said, the earlier, the better, and there are so many resources. And again, all of those things we talked about earlier that are available on post, those don't make it to your medical record. So definitely a great place to start. You don't have to see behavioral health. If you're experiencing this stuff, you can see so many other resources and it won't make it to your medical record. And if they encourage you to go to behavioral health because they don't have the resources or say you do need medical management, again, it won't affect your career necessarily, but I would encourage you to take that advice as well.
1: Um, And I love what you were saying earlier about medication, because I feel like, first of all, this is. For some reason, it's very personal when it comes to mental health, it becomes very personal as opposed to say high cholesterol or something like that, right? So when you said about the medication, I, and I'm not an active duty service member, so I'm certainly not trying to speak for anyone, but I would feel like that is something that if it were me, I'd feel like, whoa, this is serious, right? Like I'm taking medication for something, but at the same time, there's medications out there that treat a lot of different types of things in the mental health realm from depression and anxiety And it's not a bad thing because I'm sure there's lots of folks around the post who are taking medicine for cholesterol you know medicine for for all sorts of things that could you know that help them take better care of themselves so why should we view a medication for a mental health issue any differently and so I think I just thought it was really interesting that you said that and that how just being on medication for mental health is fine the whole point is to take care of yourself before you get into an extreme circumstance that you can't necessarily come back from. Because at some point, is it, because at some point we do have to care about the mission and how a, an individual affects that mission regardless, right? So to so make the yeah. good decision and, and you know, and if, if you have to go that route, go that route. It's not necessarily the end of your career is, is kind of what I'm hearing.
3: Absolutely. And that's actually a really good point. Um, So I am a prescriber and I always tell my patients because because there is a lot of stigma, just like you said, we're willing to take a pill for this, but not for behavioral health. So um, behavioral health medications, unless you have a severe mental illness, which, again, is not common in our population. Those medications are temporary. Those are not lifelong medications. They can be, they're really helping and you like them. And, but it is also possible to take them, kind of get stabilized through therapy, get some additional coping mechanisms or problem solving skills or whatever, and then come off of those medications and be perfectly fine. So they're not permanent. And then I also tell my patients, if you're so depressed that you're having thoughts of killing yourself, why wouldn't you take this medication? if your doctor said, hey, your, your blood pressure is so high, if you don't take this pill every day, you're going to die of a heart attack, you're going to take that pill. So why wouldn't you take this pill that is going to hopefully help some of those, release some of those uh, depressive symptoms, and kind of get you back on track and and not feeling so hopeless that you want to hurt yourself. So absolutely, I think that's a great point.
0: Our mental health, if left alone, it's going to get worse, you know, just like our bodies, we need to exercise Mm -hmm. them and that's great in breaking down the stigma behind taking medications for your brain. I think it's the same thing as taking medications for your body, right?
1: Right. It is. <laughs> well, and I and I really loved what you said um, earlier. Every patient's a mental health patient. I mean, I think once we start thinking about things in that regard, then we can start really shattering that stigma because like and like we've just said, you know, it's we'll take medication to stop a heart attack and have high cholesterol, but but we're so hesitant to talk about mental health stuff.
3: I just wanted to mention when I was talking about the services at Kimbro, I left out two clinics. So I want to tell you about those and not because they're any less important, but this again goes to other community resources as well. So we do have a child and family behavioral health service and it's a it's a smaller one of our, you know, sub clinics and that clinic again sees spouses and children, and that can be adult children as well, as long as they're eligible for services. And then we also have our um, Family Advocacy Program, and that is a great program. It's a little, it's not small by any means, but they have a very, very specific function, and that is helping our beneficiary and families in crisis. And so whether that be related to, you know, maybe somebody who's drinking too much or getting angry, helping people to communicate better, fair fighting, anything to help. They offer services that help alleviate stress in relationships and help those family units function more efficiently. And of course, offer crisis intervention for, you know, whether that's domestic violence, housing, things like that, they, they are well-versed in, in those resources as well. And then also, because our child and family service is so small, there are a great number of clinicians in the community that do see our beneficiaries. So another great resource in the community is the Kennedy Krieger Institute, and that is local here. They do accept TRICARE and Humana, and they offer telephone services, virtual services, but they do have folks that are specialized in military family care. So anyone from two to 21 years of age, and they can help with a wide range of services from just you know general emotional support or concerns, but they help with anger in teens, adolescents or children, anxiety, ADHD management, autism, deployment related stuff defiance and of course depression and things like that and then a lot of times parents have conflicts with their children and it makes us feel guilty right because we're their parents and we should know them and love them unconditionally and and just kind of mesh, but that's not really how it works. You know, there's a lot of reasons that parents and children clash. So they're a great service to help with those kind of uh, conflicts. And again, just like our FAP services help that family unit run a little more peacefully, if you will. But their information, you can call Kennedy Krieger Institute at 443-923-7508.
1: Okay, so we just got done talking to Major Bruchowski, and she is the Chief of Behavioral Health over at Kimbrough. Wow, she really kind of opened my eyes to what it really means to have mental health.
0: Yeah, right? what my biggest take was that everyone has, everyone has a mental health issue. Even if we're all managing it just fine and we don't think it's an issue, we're still managing it on a daily basis, right?
1: Yes. And just the the talk about how, you know, learning how to grocery shop and cook and financial readiness, all are things that make you have great mental health and are all things that if you're not doing well, can be not so great for your mental health. And I just thought that that was very profound. And like you were saying too, we should think of, you know. We take care of other parts of our bodies. We will will take pills for cholesterol. We'll take ibuprofen to heal that part of our body. But we're so afraid to, to say, okay, we're going to take this pill to help our mental health. And I think, she just, I think she just really helped kind of break down that stigma a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I hope so. I mean, it is a stigma that we battle with and not just in society as a whole, but especially in the military community. And it, there's really no need for it. I think there's been a lot of education and information that we've been pushing out, and the Army has really been paying a lot of important attention to and emphasis that it's not only, like you said, not only our physical bodies that need exercising and being taken care of, but our our mental fortitude needs to be addressed constantly, especially when we have uh, such an important mission for our fellow countrymen.
1: And just when she talked about the extreme circumstances where that mental health would actually affect your security and clearances. Yeah. It just, she just really made it feel like it would have to be very extreme. And right. that there are many, many steps along the way that one could uh, help their mental health before it gets that way. Yeah. You know, and then I think the other thing too was that she said was if you do go on medication, it's not always for life.
0: Right. Uh, you know, right. just
1: like the ibuprofen, it's not for life. Right. It's just, it's
0: just. Just to fix that issue. And when just it's- until
1: my back stops hurting, you know. Right, <laughs> right. Right. So it's kind of that that same thing. So I really appreciated that. And I think that should resonate not only with service members, which is, you know, primarily Major Perschalski's focus, uh, but also the the DOD civilians and family members and everybody. It's a lesson we can all take away.
0: Absolutely. And I felt like that point you made about how she was saying that there's just a really small number that have extreme cases and what will you think about sometimes I think the stigma about mental health is like just having a little bit of depression a little bit of stress because you're not you don't have enough money to pay a certain bill or a family member is being extra annoying or something and that's really getting (laughs) under your skin I mean those are still very important issues those minor depressions shouldn't be looked at as major issues they're just something we all deal with and when we get in there and, and seek help, we're able to alleviate and take care of those problems before they become something actually serious.
1: Right. And I really love to, she gave away a lot of great resource information. Yes, uh, she did. I hope it wasn't overwhelming to those who are listening. Um, please, again, go back, check the show notes, because we're going to put all the things that she was talking about in there and all this phone numbers. But I want to throw one more resource at you. So- mm-hmm. Many of you may be aware that Coon Hall, which is on Llewellyn, kind of Caddy corner um, from Garrison headquarters, uh, right, mm-hmm. right there next to uh, the main post chapel, is oh, getting yes. renovated as a gift from the community into um, an education and resiliency center. And as part of that gift, they've created this kiosk and website interface that's uh, full of resources. And... Mm-hmm. It's resources for anything from childcare to activities to mental health, and part of that effort is really to help erase that stigma of mental health. We didn't want somebody like, oh, I'm going to a mental health resource, but I guess they are because I guess all those things help your mental health in some way. You know, if it's childcare sure. or financial services or what have you. Um, but a lot of the the folks that you know, Major Rochalski was talking about, the on-post services, the off-post services, you can find them all there. So you can check out this resource right now. Uh, the website is up and live and ready for you to use. And that website is Ftmeadresiliency.org.
2: The holiday season is the time of year when people think about volunteering their time to help others. At Fort Meade, volunteering is a 365 day a year activity. According to Fort Meade's volunteer coordinator, Von Seal Farmer, the installation has about 3,700 people registered as volunteers. Hundreds of Fort Meade people are actively volunteering in various programs around the installation and in the community.
4: Volunteers are eligible to volunteer. if They're connected to the military by service, by family member by um, employment, civilian employers, um, contractors, and family members. And why do so
2: many people volunteer their time?
4: A lot of the volunteers tell me they volunteer, they give up their time, because not only is it helping someone else where, where it's needed, but it also makes them feel better to be a selfless servant, to give to those in need. And it also, a lot of the parents will take their kids along with them teaching them to carry forward that giving back or paying it forward to another person. To demonstrate how important volunteers
2: are, Fort Meade holds a formal event to thank all of the volunteers who give of
4: their time to help others. Von Seal Farmer. Most of our volunteers, of course, don't do what they do for recognition. And a lot of them were like, well, it's okay. I volunteer because I want to volunteer. But research shows that if you recognize the accomplishments and the work that volunteers do, they're more likely to come back and do that work again. So we in the Fort Meade community have each year done a million dollars equivalent to what the workforce would be or more of volunteer activities that helps our community in so many ways. We usually have an evening banquet that is about 400 to 450 of our volunteers, and they come together, sit, and have an opportunity to wear some of their best dressy clothes and get to meet other volunteers. This year, because of COVID, of course, that didn't happen. Since the black tie event was canceled,
2: Colonel Christopher Nyland, the Fort Meade Garrison commander, used the bi-weekly COVID town hall to thank the volunteers for the 36,000 volunteer hours they logged last year.
0: First and foremost, I wanna thank all the volunteers out here for everything that you do, whether you you, uh, volunteer for an hour or a hundred hours, your contribution is important and you're helping to make your community a better place. I definitely appreciate that.
2: Colonel Nyland went on to name the winners in the six categories of volunteers. Emily Borden is the Fort Meade Youth Volunteer of the Year. She's been volunteering in the Fort Meade community for years under her platform Serve and Salute, where she supports military families via the USO, Operation Welcome Home, and Honor Flights. She's also an assistant scout platoon leader. The Active Duty Volunteer of the Year is Air Force Tech Sergeant Ashley Richwine from the 32nd Intelligence Squadron. From fundraising and special events for the Baltimore Animal Rescue and Care Shelter to handing out snacks at the Fort Meade USO or training community members as part of the Anne Arundel County Annapolis Community Emergency Response Team. The Volunteer Organization of the Year is the Fort Meade Spouses Club The Spouses' Club participates in everything from the day-to-day operations of the post-thrift shop to organizing the annual children's holiday party attended by more than 1,300 military members and their children. The Spouses' Club also raised $51,600 in scholarship funds, which were awarded to military dependents. In total, the active group volunteered 19,000 hours to the Fort Meade community. A member of the Spouses Club was recognized as the civilian volunteer of the year. Mallory Noble volunteered more than 1,100 hours in the post thrift shop. And the volunteer family of the year?
0: The family of the year is the
5: Batista family.
0: So this is, uh, one of our Air Force uh, uh, brothers here. So Air Force Tech Sergeant Armando Batista Jr. Uh, Miss Elizabeth Ellie Batista, Ethan Abram, and Armando the that family has given over 1,830 hours to the 4B community uh, by serving with six different organizations.
2: When Colonel Nyland made the announcement on Facebook Live, Ellie Batista was watching.
1: When I heard his name, I was like, wait, did he just say our name? And I'm like, maybe
0: there's
5: another Tech Sergeant Batista. And then everybody's like, no, that's you guys.
2: <laughs> Between career and caring for their three children, the Batistas admit scheduling everything gets hectic, but they love it. Tech Sergeant Armando Batista Jr.
5: I'm a video director at the church, of video team lead.
2: Um, I also volunteer with the
0: key spouses for the Air Force.
5: Involved with the Fort Meade 5-6, which is the NCO organization. At church. I was leading middle school students. Through the spouses club. I was coaching baseball. And the thrift shop. Uh, there's a thing called the Crucible Project that I've been getting involved with and helping out in that way as well. It's like a good kind of busy, I would say. Other people's crazies are normal is what it seems like. I think the biggest thing is finding your passion. Like, what are you passionate about? What is it that you love to do? And how can that that impact others? So like, do you like cooking? If you like cooking, cool. How can you use that tool, that satisfaction, that hobby to use that to engage with others and help others out? Um, And I think for us, that's been a huge thing. It's like, it doesn't seem like a task that we have to do. It's, we want to do it because we enjoy it and it's things that we enjoy to do. So might as well do it while giving back to the community.
2: A big thank you to the Batista family. If you'd like to volunteer in the Fort Meade community, log on to myarmyonesource.com. For Fort Meade Declassified, I'm Mary Doyle.
0: That's it for today's episode of Fort Meade Declassified. Connect with us on Digital Meade, the Garrison's new home for news and events. You can find it on our website at home.army.mil forward slash mead, where you can also find up-to-date information on COVID-19.